0: Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I Chelsea are looking imperious. Liverpool are getting serious. Arsenal are back on track and is the old Manchester United back? I'm Dan Burke. This is the Premier League Weekend Review Podcast and I'm joined today by Matt Froelich. Hey. I'm Phil Costa. Hello. Uh, I don't have any preamble this week, to be honest, so uh, I guess let's just get sh- stuck straight straight into the amble, shall we? Uh, plenty to talk about uh, from the weekend's action. We'll begin today in North London, where Chelsea put down another big marker with a 3-0 win away at Tottenham. Uh, Matt, you're a Spurs fan, as, as people might may or may not know. Uh, they made a great start to the season with those three 1-0 wins, but they've gone off the rails a little bit since the international break, I think it's fair to say. What's What's gone wrong with them in the last couple of weeks?
1: I think the rails were starting to. We were starting to come off the rails, pretty much after the Manchester City game. I think for (laughs) any Spurs fan who watched the Wolves win and the Watford win, the result was there on on the face of it, but the performance wasn't. And now we're almost getting the results that the performance deserved, which is absolutely nothing. It was such a shame because Spurs start the game quite well, but it just looks as though to me there isn't really. There isn't really the same sort of desire in the attack that, that, that Spurs have seen throughout the years. There's no real sort of direction. Everyone's sort of hoping for someone else to do something. And I'm not quite sure if everyone believes it just yet, whatever Nuno's trying to do or believes in the squad and the rest of the team around them. And it was just such a stark contrast to, to the way that Chelsea clearly believe in absolutely everything that yeah. Thomas Tuchel has to say.
0: Do you think Nuno uh, Nuno's the right man for the job, or or has he perhaps shown in recent games why why he wasn't the club's first choice this summer?
1: It's very difficult to call it so early on. Yeah. It is very, very difficult, especially as you say, after a couple of good wins. I just I, I was talking to a friend about it, and the thing that annoys me the most about the big games of Spurs is that it doesn't matter which manager's in charge, the results are the same. You know, I've been watching Spurs my whole life, almost 28 years, and it doesn't matter who's on the pitch. It gets to London derbies. It gets to big matches. And the performances and the results are always the same. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even sure if I can pin it on Nuno. He went within an attacking lineup. There were some good players out on the pitch that started well. But just eventually, there's just something there. There's just a mental block that Spurs can't get over. And it's so same old, same old. That you're not even going to want to talk to me next week after the Arsenal game.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to you, ask you just... about, about the lineup as well, actually. What did you think of uh Andombalay starting, for example, because he's he's a guy who looked like he might be off over the summer and past couple of games he's come in and, and looked pretty good. Are you are you hoping that you're gonna see a bit more of him?
1: I hope so. He's a great player, but then all of a sudden, if he can't get into the team yet he's being selected for the biggest game of the season, right, against Chelsea, mm. what does that say to the rest of the team? I don't quite understand. <laughs> yeah. But obviously he's obviously done something unbelievable in the last week that he can get into the team. And if it wasn't just something he's done the last week, why wasn't he in the team for the first four matchday squads of the season or three? Yeah. I, I really, he really confuses me because there's so much talent there, but I'd love to know what happens sort of, you know, behind the scenes or whether Nuno thinks he's the kind of player that he wants. Cause this is what annoys me is I'm, You know, sick and tired of the manager saying, oh, it's not my team, it's not my players, this, that and the other. You know, that really sort of, really gets me wound up. Because I just think these managers have such quality players at their disposal. You can't just sit there and make the excuse that, I'm not saying Nuno is, but you know, there's obviously something that's not right there.
0: Yeah, we look at the job Thomas Tuchel's done with Chelsea since he took over midway through last season. He's he's really got the looking really strong I mean they're looking stronger and stronger with each game at the moment Phil can you, can you see anyone stopping them this season the way they're playing at the moment
2: I, th- I think it's it's difficult it's very early um, but they just look like an extremely well coached side um, and I think you know obviously Liverpool look good but I have one or two reservations about their squad depth and, and United can look shaky defensively at times even though they keep winning and you know City and you know, whoever else will obviously be there and around and thereabouts, but I don't know, man. I just, I just see Chelsea. And I think from back to front, they're so organized. They're so sort of clear on what they're doing. This three at the back formation suits them perfectly. They don't concede any goals. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. It's mad. It's genuinely crazy here. Like um, how good their defensive record is under Tuchel. And I just think, you know, even in these early stages, um, I know that some people have voiced concerns about how many goals they score, but, you know, this is a front line with Lukaku, Havertz, uh, Werner, Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Mason Mount. These guys are going to score goals, right? Let's be honest. Yeah. So um, for me, um, having, you know, watched the first few games, I think they're the favourites by by quite some distance, actually. But I mean, obviously there will be teams there and a,
0: there and thereabouts
2: towards the end of the year, but I'm, I'm just so impressed whenever I watch them.
0: Yeah, that's it. Their, their system looks like it's the best in the league to me. I mean, you've, they've got obviously some very talented players they've spent a lot of money on, but there's a few players in there. They're sort of, sort of like Jorginho, Christensen, Rudiger, Kovacic, Aspilaqueta, Alonso, not really like top tier players, but the, the kind of greater than the sum of the parts, aren't they, Chelsea? Whereas I don't think maybe Liverpool are a bit like that as well, but I don't really see anyone else who's like that. I think they're just they're just looking they're just looking very hard to kind of like shift Chelsea. It's going to be like you say they don't they don't concede many goals. It's going to be hard for teams to beat them um, a, a lot of the time this season. Uh, it's Chelsea v Man City next weekend. Actually, how how do you see that one going, Matt?
1: Well, for the for all the capabilities you just named about Chelsea and for Manchester City supposedly being able to score though they didn't this weekend. <laughs> um I actually think it's going to be a very tense game and I can see Chelsea doing what they did last season. It was the back end of last season they won 2-1 at the um at the Etihad I yeah. think. And uh yeah, I just think I I kind of agree with Phil just all over. They just look so good. I'm trying to identify one sort of strength of City against one weakness of Chelsea, but there isn't really one, um, and it, it, it seems like it might be a bit of tactical warfare. And I'm hoping for Guardiola's sake he doesn't do a Champions League Guardiola and completely overthink it. <laughs> um,
0: oh, he will, but yeah,
1: yeah, probably. But I, I'm not quite sure because it's tough enough to score against Chelsea as is. A City going to be able to do it without a without a proper striker, you know, playing through the middle. Or Jesus out wide, or Torres through the middle, or whoever. I'm not so certain. So, I'm actually, I'm actually backing Chelsea again. I'm, I'm backing
0: them for the title, but mm. I'm probably against City next weekend. Yeah, me too. I think. I mean, it's a, a replay of the Champions League final. We all saw how that one went. I could see it being a, mm. a similar kind of game. The way Southampton were able to to sort of shut City down and snuff them out this weekend was quite worrying from a City point of view. And like you say, without the the recognised striker, it's it, it's not. Often that city kind of score goals from nothing and against teams mm-hmm. uh, who can defend as well as Chelsea, it's going to be really, really, really tough. You know, I think the the first goal in that game could be really massive. Uh, it's also the North London derby next weekend. Uh, an interesting question someone posted on uh, posed on Twitter over the weekend: which club is better set up for the future, Spurs or Arsenal? I'll let you take the lead on that one, Phil. <laughs> uh,
2: I'm not sure, honestly. I kind of feel like it's not a great time for either North London club at the moment. Um, I mean, in terms of the Arsenal angle, um, the summer recruitment this year kind of was very clear in that they wanted to build something for the future, Um, whether that can amount to anything under Mikel Arteta, who's still kind of, you know, the jury's still out on him, but, you know, they they brought in a lot of good young players this year, Sambi Lukonga, Martin Odegaard, Tommy Asu, you know, a lot of these guys, but you know, at the end of the day, as, as well as you need to be building for the future, you kind of need to be good in the present, you know? And I find this question quite difficult to answer because you always want to see, you know, some future proofing at your club and and making sure that, you know, the guys are looking into the future, but I just have a few lingering doubts about what's happening in the present. You know, even though we've won our last couple of games, you know, I don't have some reservations over Arteta, Tether, shall we say? So, Let's see, but the you know, the derby next week it's always a, a stomach sickener, so <laughs> so so let's see what happens. I hope I hope that we can you know, we've got a pretty decent record against Spurs in, in, in the recent derbies, so
0: at home. So let's see. Yeah. What what's your answer to that question then, Matt?
1: Um, well, as for the, the derby at the weekend, it's Tottenham away at Arsenal and with one win in the last twenty nine years, it's not gonna happen, unfortunately, for Tottenham. <laughs> um As for the future, yeah, I kind of agree with Phil there. It's in very similar positions, but I think the problem with Spurs is the Harry Kane dilemma. I mean, every manager that comes in has to be on his good side. Every manager has to play to his strengths, have a good relationship with him. Um, And the second he doesn't, and the second Kane finally leaves, it really does signal the end of this era for Spurs. Um, and that could mean potentially other players wanting to leave as well. So I think everything is really on a knife edge for the future, not just for Keynes, but for the club as a whole. Because Tottenham just aren't the same without him. Yeah. Um, and again, it, if new knows, you know, a big project manager, as they like to call it, um, like Pochettino was, and this is the future of Tottenham. The performances we've seen then I'm not overly optimistic, yeah. unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think it's a hard question to answer that one. My, my instinctive answer was Arsenal. And it, it was based mainly on the fact that their back four against Burnley at the weekend was Tommy Arsu, White, Gabriel and Tierney. I mean, that's a great back four in a couple of years, you would imagine, wasn't it? It lo- looks like they've really got the foundations mm. of something. But yeah, I agree with what you say as well, Phil. It's, uh, it's not looking uh, amazing for them at the moment. Let's talk a bit more about Arsenal now, actually, because they picked up their second consecutive 1-0 win away at Burnley on Saturday. Last week on the podcast, we were saying that despite Arsenal's good record at Burnley, Lee. I think it's like 1973 since they last lost there, actually. Uh, this one smelled like one of those games where, where Arsenal might crumble. Did you did you have that kind of fear going into the game, Phil? And how impressed were you with the performance in the end?
2: I mean, Burnley's always a difficult place to go. And no matter who you're who you are, you know, you know what they're gonna do. They're gonna sit with two banks of four and just knock it up to the big men, and no matter how good you are defensively, that's a challenge, right? Oh, yeah. Especially when you've got Ashley Barnes giving you elbows in your side and Chris <laughs> Woods, you know, doing his Chris Wood thing. So I mean, in terms of the overall game, Arsenal didn't really have many clear opportunities, but there were just so many occasions in the final third when, you know, a a better weight of pass or a better first touch would have put us in such good situations. And it was so frustrating because it's like, we picked so many talented technical players. We had like Smith Rowe playing, we had Odegaard playing, we had Saka playing, and there was just so many underhit passes or bad pieces of control. And it's like, oh come on guys you know a little bit more care and we would have breezed that game but in terms of Burnley I mean they didn't create too much Um, and I think that is down to you know uh, some really solid performances across the back four I mean Tommy Asu has been really solid since we brought him in Ben White had a couple of shaky moments on the ball but I think overall he did a good job Kieran Tierney is Kieran Tierney you know we can always rely on him for a 7 out of 10 performance but Gabriel was just absolutely monstrous on mm. Saturday he won everything in the air um, you know wasn't afraid to to put his head and his body where it hurt and and you know he, he gave it back to the Burnley guys which I enjoyed you know so <laughs> um, I think it was a, a good performance that's two clean sheets in a row and even though they've been against Norwich and Burnley you know you have to kind of build on something so
0: overall pretty happy with the points and And we're going to the Derby next week. Indeed. Uh, Odegaard scored the winner here with a lovely free kick. How massive was it for for Arsenal to get him back on a permanent deal this summer? And how important is he to the way Arteta wants to play, do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it was a lovely strike. Um, I mean, a lot of people maybe pointed at Nick Pope, but he just kind of puts it in that corner really perfectly. Mm. And there's a nice bit of pace on the ball. So, um, you know, there were a lot of links to James Madison this summer and for pretty crazy money. I mean, it was like 70 million being quoted and I just never understood it. I mean, Madison's a good player, um, but I could never justify spending that, that amount of money on someone whose record is, is good, not great. Um, And I think deep down, Erdegaard was always the, the, the kind of the first target for the club and for Arteta. So I don't know. He's just sort of fitted in really well. He's nice and tidy on the ball. He brings a bit of, um, you know he's always looking to go forward he's nice and secure in the final third and I I just think as he grows in the side he can sort of be a a real leader not just in the in the traditional sense but also a creative leader a technical leader Um, and yeah for the price you know 30 million really happy to have it back at the club
0: yeah and you mentioned Tommy Arsu also had a really good game here how impressed have you been with him in what's two games he's played now yeah two games I mean it's it's nice to have someone who can kind of handle
2: themselves on, on that side because you know for various reasons Hector Bayerin looks kind of a shadow of his former self and then we were kind of uh, sort of rotating in and out with Cedric and Chambers who let's be honest you know they're not good enough to, to be playing mm. as a right back for Arsenal um, but yeah Tomiyasu seems to be you know very secure very good in the air decent on both feet and and yeah so far so good really happy with him and um, I think the only way is up for him, really. So uh, we've got the the makings of a good back four
0: there, I think. Mm. And a good goalkeeper, I guess. I mean, two clean sheets for Aaron Ramsdale now. It looked like he'd given a penalty away at one, one point in this game. It was overturned by VAR. Is is that st- signing starting to make sense to you at all yet? I mean, we needed somebody there because, mm.
2: you know, Runnison, uh, I don't think you could save a word document by the end of <laughs> last season. So um, it was not ideal having him in, in goal. So I think we needed someone. For me, I look if the club identified somebody and they wanted to go for him, that's absolutely fair. I'm not a goalkeeping scout, and I think the position itself needs some more, you know, specialised information. I think there's a lot of intangibles that go into being a goalkeeper as well, which we don't really get yeah. as uh, sort of armchair fans. But the price for me always felt kind of expensive considering his history, and I was never overly impressed having watched him, but. I think what Ramsdale does so well is, is transmits a confidence and, you know, an authority to the back four Leno, you know, he's an excellent shot stopper, but I feel like he sort of cowers into his shell at times. And I think Ramsdale's that kind of goalie where, you know, he's going to go where it hurts, put his head down in places where there's boots and studs and, you know, and people like that. You can relate to that. And I think a lot of us weren't expecting the change to be so quick, but, You know, he's done everything right and, you know, we're all behind him now because he seems like a great guy on and off the pitch. So, yeah, really pleased with him and and hopefully that, that bit of competition was, was what we needed in the position.
0: Is it his spot to lose now, do you think?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think he'll start the derby next week. Mm. Um, you know, you're not just going to bring him in for two games and then say, all right, we're done. So. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, I think Leno's head's been elsewhere for a long time now anyway. So yeah, all pleased with Ramsdale so far and, and hope he can build on it.
0: Nice. Uh, Burnley didn't really threaten very much here until new signing Maxwell Cornet was introduced in the second half. Do you think he's going to be a big player for them, Mac? you see him adding an extra dimension to Burnley?
1: Uh, yeah, purely because Burnley have as few dimensions as humanly possible <laughs> um, <laughs> in their squad. Anyone with a bit of flair and a bit of a spark looks... Looks phenomenal when you put them in a Burnley team. Yeah, true. Um, I'm actually quite impressed that Leon let him go. Um, He was, you know, a a player who played in all sorts of positions at the left. I was really surprised when he, you know, started his career uh, uh, as a winger and moved further and further back. Mm. Um, Especially having lost Memphis to Pye as well. Um, Yeah, I was. I was a little bit surprised, but I guess for Burnley, he could be like you say in this game if he comes on. Create something, and they nick a point out of it. Those are the the points or the odd three points and the game changing moments that Bernie Bernie could really do with. So yeah, I think it could be a really really important signing mm-hmm. for them. Um, I just always wonder whether or not these players are bought in. You don't want to be a game changer, basically, from from the bench. You know, you, you want to be a, a starter at your new club, a starter in the Premier League, have it, having moved from Liga. And if he's going to come in and just sort of be this exciting guy to to be introduced in the second half, it probably doesn't really suit him. Um, So I have to see how well he fits into quite a rigid system for most of the time. Um, But yeah, I think away from home especially, he could be really, really good. You know, hitting on the counter-attack is quite quick. Um, I I, I seem to draw parallels with um, saint Maximan, who also came, I believe, from Saint-Etienne. Um, in France, you know, really sort of carries that spark in the Newcastle team. And then, yeah, maybe there could be something similar. Yeah,
0: it looks like you could add a bit of unpredictability to Burnley, which is something mm. I think they've been lacking really, because they're they are exactly you know exactly what you're going to get with them, and, and it's it's getting to the point where it's it's kind of not working very very often anymore for Burnley, is it? They, they need something uh, something extra. Liverpool are still unbeaten this season after they beat Crystal Palace three nil on Saturday. Sadio Mane scored his one hundredth goal, uh, one hundred Liverpool goal here, and by scoring his thirteenth goal against Palace, he becomes the first Premier League player to score in nine consecutive matches against a single opponent, and. Um, does he look like he's, he's got his mojo back to you, Matt, after suffering a bit of a dip in form last season? Palace fans must hate him. <laughs> know,
1: Nine yeah. consecutive games, is
0: it? Yeah. Oh
1: my word. God, yeah, well, you <laughs> must be looking forward to this one then. Um, yeah, it looks like he does have a, a bit of that feeling back. I think, I think maybe sometimes players are just sort of victims of their own success. So, you know, and, and a dip in form for Sadio Mane is probably a peak career for most other players, Mm -hmm. um, considering how well he's done at Liverpool in the last few seasons. It does look like he and Liverpool really look to be back on track. Of course, their injuries last season. um, And there was that really disappointing run of form, especially at home um, after the turn of the year where they lost, was it four or five um, uh, home games? So yeah, I think for him and just generally for the team, they they do look back to, to top form. And I definitely expect him to be challenging. Yeah. Certainly up there with with you know one or two others at the top of the table. He looks great again, Manny. I just think maybe the maybe the um the spotlights are on Salah a bit more. Yeah. So it's kind of easier to overlook, Manny. But hundred goals for Liverpool's crazy. I know, yeah.
0: Not bad at all. Ibrahim uh, Ibrahima Kanate made his debut for Liverpool here. Uh, how good a signing are you are you expecting him to be for them, Phil?
1: No, he's a really good
2: player. Um I think the issue with Canate was never his quality. It was about keeping him fit, Mm. Um, which is not exactly what you want to hear considering Liverpool's recent, you know, defensive injuries, but he's always had problems. And I think maybe now they're kind of uh, confident enough that he's sort of grown into his body and they can work, uh, they can work on him on the training ground and kind of ease him in, Um, you know, with Joe Gomez coming back with Virgil van Dijk being back. So, I think he's a really good option for them he's big he's strong he's quick he looks kind of perfectly suited for uh for English football in the Premier League so you know I think they did a good job to snap him up early and and yeah he was really kind of dominant against against Palace I mean they they have some good players up front but him and Virgil van Dijk were kind of you know swatting them aside at times so so yeah, good signing. Just just hope they can keep him fit because I really enjoyed
0: him in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Allison looks in really good form for Liverpool at the moment as well. And yeah, that it seems unlikely that they would have another defensive injury crisis because it, it required like four players to get injured and they've, they've just sort of bought one extra player to, who who should solve solve that problem for them. Um, Jurgen Klopp was able to make a number of changes from the sides which beat Leeds last week and, and Milan in midweek with James Milner filling in superbly at right back against Palace. He just keeps going, doesn't he? Um, Matt, does that tell us that Liverpool's squad depth is actually pretty good? despite what some people might say
1: yeah if they can keep everyone fit their score depth is pretty decent um, it's all about just being able to put out that best 11 every single week and I think no disrespect to Palace maybe wasn't the toughest test mm. um, coming to Anfield James Milner, though is, is, is a bizarre player I just <laughs> think there isn't a position where he'd do badly but I don't think he'd excel in any position either yeah I don't know. Something about it winds me up. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I just think it's like the simplicity of it. You think surely football's not that simple. Like when you tackles, play the simple passes, good engine, you can go into your thirty-five. Like James Milner, it all seems like a bit too simple. But look, I guess if he's willing to pitch in, you know, these are the kind of players that probably help to win titles. Um, I know that Fergie's United used to have loads of them. Yeah, loads of players who'd absolutely anything in any position. Um, so yeah, I the, I think he does well. The, the squad depth is always going to be tested when there's injuries, but I think their squad depth is as good as other teams. It's just last season was freakishly, you know, unlucky for them with so many injuries.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's the ultimate utility man, isn't he, Miller? I met mean, when he was at yeah. Villa, when he was at Villa. He was a great central midfielder. He came to City with the expectation that he was going to play there, and I think Roberto Mancini at the time was like, "No, nah, you're not good enough, but you can play on the wing or you can play anywhere else you want, just not centre mid." Yeah. <laughs> Then he got he got sick eventually of playing, getting shuttled out to the wing at City. Left City to join Liverpool to play centre mid. They quickly decided that he wasn't good enough to play there either, or quite good enough, you know, to to play there every week. And and again, he gets put in all these different positions, but. Yeah, he's uh, approaching 40 now, isn't he? And still, still, oh do, still putting a solid shift in. Um, you said it wasn't the, the toughest test. I mean, Klopp said afterwards that it was one of the most hard-fought 3-0 wins he'd ever seen. And from what I saw of it, it did look like Palace were having a go. Um, do you think they can, they can take some positives from that, Phil? And do you think uh, Palace look like they're progressing nicely under Patrick Vieira?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's a, a good project to be excited about. I mean... Uh, I was keeping an eye on the game and it felt more like Liverpool took some time to get into their stride mm. um not to take anything away from Palace um, but I think in terms of the overall sort of squad I've on de Vieira now they needed a big rebuild this summer because they had the oldest squad in the Premier League by far um but you know they've done some good business they brought in mark gahey from chelsea uh anderson was on loan at fulham they've got conor gallagher in from chelsea mm. you know uh Elise from from reading they've got eberechi eze you know um i know he's injured at the moment but he's another big talent so they've kind of done things the right way they're building a strong core there um you know of some good young players some good young english players as well which is always nice uh if they're looking to sell some guys on in the future so you know, uh, I'm I'm supporting Patrick Vieira th- for 36 games a season. Um, and I very much enjoyed his win last week um, against Spurs. But yeah, uh, let's see what they can do. Because I think um, Vieira took some stick for not being the most attacking manager in the world at Nice. Um, so maybe he can sort of find something within himself to unleash some of these guys. Because they've got talent. You know, yeah, it's pretty, uh, if you look up front, they've got Eduard, Zaha, these kind of guys. So... Let them run loose, I say, and see what happens.
0: Indeed. Uh, Manchester United won 2-1 at the London Stadium on Sunday in a game that was pure Barclays by the end of it, I thought. Uh, Jesse Lingard scored what proved to be the winning goal against the club he was on loan at last season. Um, do you think there's a place for him at Old Trafford now, Matt? And is, is he going to get the, enough game time to satisfy his needs?
1: <sighs> I'm still not entirely sure. Well, well, first off, what do you think his best position? is? We're, we're agreeing number 10, right? Yeah. Ahead of Bruno, I know, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, it's, it's the one position that you don't want to be in. Is you know that that number ten role because whenever Bruno is available, which he is the majority of the time, Lingard's just not going to play that much. And I don't think he's not, despite what the internet says, an up and coming youngster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be playing if he wants to get you know anywhere. Sort of, if we're looking a bit further, the England squad for the World Cup is in eighteen months or so. He's not a guy who can get a few minutes and get some experience. Like Having already been where he's been and played the games that he's played in, he needs to be starting every single game. And When we saw it at the back end of last season yeah. for West Ham, he was brilliant. So I just think having, having shown everyone how good you can be in the first six months of this year, why would he want to? Why yeah. would he want to stick around? I mean, if United are going places, great, stay aboard that ship. But I can't imagine him getting ahead of anyone. Out wide, he's not going to hit ahead of Rashford or Sancho and obviously Ronaldo up front. So I don't think there's a long-term place in the starting lineup. Yeah. but if he wants to just be part of the team, great.
0: Yeah, I, I thought he needed a move this summer, to maybe back to West Ham mm. or something. He's 28 now. I mean, that, that form at the end of last season came too late for him to get a place in England's Euro squad, didn't it? So like you say, for the World Cup, he's he's going to play himself out yeah. of like that if he's not careful as well. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has now scored four goals in three games. his returning to United, making a bit of a mockery of those who had, had doubts about whether him going back there was going to work out. Did you have any doubts about that, Phil? Did you understand that at all, or, or did you always expect him to deliver?
2: Nah, I mean it was always clear for me, um, especially that United were kind of willing to just leave him in the penalty box. Um, you know, I watched Juventus a fair bit last season and he was on the left doing pointless stepovers far too much. Um he hasn't got that burst anymore, he hasn't got that zip, but what he does have um is an incredible nose for goals and just leave him there, he'll pick up the headers, he'll pick up the rebounds. You know, it's it's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's going to yeah. score wherever he, you know, wherever he goes. Um, and you know, people have, you know, made some fun about. Oh, yeah, but you only wanted him because City were close to buying him. And you think Man United fans care? <laughs> <Yeah>. No, <laughs> they don't care. Um, so yeah, he's he's back there. The whole club's been lifted. Um, you know, they've got a genuine superstar up front, and you know, he's not going to. Um, I I don't see him scoring 30 goals maybe not if he I'm going to come to regret that but Mm -hmm. I think he could easily hit 20 um, which has been pretty much golden boot territory the last couple of years so for one or two seasons just get him in and and yeah it's no surprise for me I think he's he's an unbelievable striker even if there are um, you know some concerns about his age or whatever
0: yeah well I didn't want him to come to City because I have you know I don't, I don't like the guy to be honest for personal <laughs> and football reasons uh, that doesn't mean I wanted him to join United though I was like as soon as that happened I was like oh god well they are getting a good player now though aren't they that's that's quite annoying uh, there was a bit of controversy about the penalty instance involving Ronaldo in this game um, it also took the referee a, a while to award a West Ham a late penalty for Luke Shaw's handball what did you make of all all that Matt?
1: Uh, I, the same thing every time I see a handball. I quickly go on the internet and check if I know the rules. <laughs> because then I'll be able to make a good decision. Because every time I see it happening, I think, is that is that a penalty this season? Was it a penalty <laughs> last season? I, I don't know. I'm completely confused. Because as soon as you see the replay, you think, yeah, it's hands miles outside his body. That's definitely a penalty. Mm. So when they have to sort of take so long, I'm always thinking they probably know something that I don't. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and I, I never know. And you always ask about it, Dan, and I always think to myself, I still don't know the rules. <laughs> I, st- I still don't know. As for the Ronaldo one,
0: you talked about the one just before that. There was that, There was two, wasn't there? There was that one, which I thought, the one just before it, I thought was not a penalty because I thought he was kind of going down already. I
1: thought that. He was already going down. But then there's another That's angle where it, where it
0: looks like, uh, was it Zuma, I think it was, wasn't it, who had his sort of hand on his back, almost like pushed him over a little bit, which you could mm. say might have been a penalty, but...
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess if if they're, they're sort of playing it strictly to the letter of the law, then maybe. Um, again, what is the law? But yeah, that that one just before the the Luke Shaw handball, it looked like he knew he was like, right. I'm just going to poke the ball out of play ahead of um, the defender, and then I'm just going to fall down. And I think I'm glad it wasn't given. But yeah, for, for the penalty, I. I don't know. Is there, is there another angle or sort of rule that I'm missing out on in a world where Shorts wouldn't be no given? No idea.
0: No, I don't know what, what made him go to the monitor to so have to look at that and look at several replays of it. It looked blatant I think it. they just have to sell it to the crowd. Yeah, maybe, yeah. They
1: just yeah. have to make use of the machine. I mean, it's costing them, like, what is it, 20 grand a game. You might as <laughs> well yeah. watch it for a little
0: bit. <laughs> uh, well, the penalty was missed, of course. Uh, Phil, do you think bringing Mark Noble on to take that penalty with, with his only touch of the game was a, a good idea that didn't wor- work out or just a bad idea, full stop?
2: I mean that that was nonsense, really. (laughs) I mean, what did we learn from England in the summer? Don't let guys who are not in the the state of the game with cold legs coming on to take a penalty like he's not Superman. I know, yeah. Like this is not a Disney fairy tale that you know the captain's coming on and just like come on. You had Declan Rice there, you know, who's you know scored a good goal in midweek, had another good game you know, they had, who who else, Yarmolenko, I'm sure they could trust his technique from the spot, Lanzini, just like, come on, there was more than enough talent, Uh, I know Mark Noble has a very good record um, from the penalty spot, but bringing someone on in the 94th minute just to take a penalty, I mean, come on, that's beyond ridiculous for me, and I think, you know, you just don't bring someone cold into a game like that against Man United. If you're, if it's like an FA Cup game and he's about to retire, then, then fine, bring him on. But come on, there was people ready to take that penalty. I mean, Declan Rice had the ball. He went up and took the ball and mm-hmm. said, "Right, this is me." And then you know, Noble ran on and took it. I mean, De Gea did well to save it. He's got a terrible record. Yeah. Um. So obviously, it had to happen that he'd miss it, uh, or that he would save it. So. But yeah, yeah, I just didn't understand that. And I think, you know, Moyes said he didn't regret it after the game, but I think he will <laughs> he would have been thinking about that on, at <laughs> night and, and thinking, oof, maybe I shouldn't have done that.
0: But if he'd scored, would what, what, we be hailing it as a masterstroke from Moyes? No, because I'd expect <laughs> most
2: professional players to score a penalty, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, no matter how good their record is, you know, I, I just feel like a professional player should be able to score from 12 yards yeah, unopposed. But, yeah. you know...
0: Yeah, that's the first penalty yeah. saved, Premier League penalty saved by David De Gea since October 2014. He'd conceded last 21 he'd faced. Oh, <laughs> Had to happen at some point, didn't it? Poor old Mark Noble. Uh, interesting question posed by Daniel Story on Twitter yesterday. Are Manchester United lucky because they're good or good because they're lucky? Any thoughts on that one, Matt?
1: Oof, it's too early in the
0: morning <laughs> for that kind of riddle.
1: Um, are they good? Are they lucky because they're good or good because they're lucky? Well, I always thought you make your own luck. Um and I guess these sort of pivotal moments—I don't know. This is what you have these players for. Like when you have better players, um, certainly towards the, the higher end ends of the division, these kind of moments are where they make the difference. Like that goal from Lingard is real quality. Um, the penalty save was a really good save, and I guess you could say they were unlucky because they conceded the penalty. But you know, I think these small moments make the difference. Obviously, I. I I think they're good. I think they're they're lucky because they're good. I wouldn't the sort I wouldn't of downplay their the issue. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. starts to smell a bit like Fergie's Man United to me again yeah. nowadays. Ronaldo being back, the late goals. Yeah, I don't like it. I was quite happy with them, sort of <laughs> being <laughs> feeling sorry for themselves all the time. I, I, I
1: saw I saw that um, De Gea posted on social media uh, with a caption: uh, "We won this one as a team." I was like, don't do that. Just say <laughs> that you, you saved the three points at the end because we all know that you did.
0: Indeed. Don't don't try and play it down. Yeah, uh, Brighton are flying high in fourth place after a 2-1 win over Leicester on Sunday. Last season, it took them 21 games to get to four wins. This season, they've done it in just five. Uh, what's been behind their good start, do you think, Matt? Is it as simple as they're getting a little bit of luck that they weren't getting last season?
1: Yeah, that I do think they're getting and I think they're just managing to get the ball in the back of the net. They yeah. really, they really had a problem converting everything they had last season into um, into goals, and now they seem to be doing it. And it's a very good run of form. <sighs> Whether they'll keep it up is, is obviously a you know a bit, a bit of a different question because I'm not quite sure they've got the consistency in front of the goal. But for now, yeah, it's a really good run of form. And when you know when Danny Welbeck's finally the back of the net, you know you're in because <laughs> he's he's usually on about what is about three goals a season or something. Yeah. Or, or maybe uh, less. So Danny Welbeck, please. <laughs> honestly, honestly I, I look through his stats just for a giggle every so often. He's always injured, just can't believe he's still in
0: the Premier League. Yeah. If he can stay fit, he's, he's a good striker, I think, Danny Welbeck. But you know, that's uh, a big take,
1: problem. He hasn't scored double figures. I think it's in 10 years. It was the last <laughs> time he got double figures in the Premier League, and he's still here. So good <laughs> luck to him. But, but yeah, I guess they're obviously getting. Um, that were better and I actually think Brighton have got some really good attacking players um, but yeah they're obviously just getting a bit a bit of luck of the green when it comes to the goals long may it
0: continue for them yep I'm a big Leandro Trossard fan personally I yes really like me too yeah. he's great uh, Mark Cucurella has well signed him this summer from Hatafe he played really well in this game do you think they've made a smart signing there Phil
2: yeah definitely I mean their business in general was very smart um, they signed Enoch Mwepu as well from RB Salzburg Mm. who's another really good midfielder um you know I just think I've always been a Graham Potter stan to (laughs) quote the (laughs) kids um I've got a lot of time for him and his and his football and I thought last year he basically did everything he could it was just his players had you know this magnetic force to somehow miss the goal from two yards out every week um but yeah I think Kukurea is like the, the typical player that fans love because he's up and down he's crashing into tackles he's you know he does everything at 100 miles an hour and it's very easy to relate to those guys from the stands and I think um especially when they they look to play this kind of wing back formation he's just perfect for that role um and I think for what was 18 million pounds I think his Mm. release clause it's a a brilliant deal really um and I'm just really happy to see them thriving because I've got a lot of time for Brighton and, and Graham Potter so so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if they can maintain
0: this uh, this form. Yeah, always an enjoyable team to watch. Uh, that's now six defeats in their last nine games dating back to last season for Leicester in the Premier League. That is, uh, they were a bit unlucky to lose this one, Matt. But but do you think Brendan Rogers? Uh, how do you think Brendan Rogers turns their form around at this point?
1: Ooh, yeah, this is a difficult one. It's not quite something I was expecting to see from Leicester such bad form because they mm-hmm. always they always seem to hit the ground running and sort of stay there or thereabouts, but you wouldn't want them drifting too far away from the, from the top four, which is where they should be challenging this early in the season. Um, I think Rogers is a fantastic manager though. And I think he'll, he'll be very aware of sort of identifying what's going wrong, where it's going wrong and how to fix it. They've also been very, very good in the transfer market. Um, I think immediately, you know, as soon as Fofana was injured, they brought Investor hasn't had a great start. I think will come good. I think he'll be aware of what they need to do. It's just how quickly they'll be able to turn it around. Because like I mentioned, you don't want to sort of start entering the winter period almost out of the top four question already. That's not, that's not the best heading into the new year. I mean, obviously not. We're just five games in. Mm. Um, but I think, yeah, I think he'll, he'll definitely, he's experienced enough
0: to, to have seen us and to be able to turn it around. Yeah. Sionchu's looking a little bit dodgy at the moment, I think, isn't it? That might be a bit of a problem for them to keep an eye on. But yeah, I think I mm. think they'll uh, they've got a, some Players they've signed this summer who are taking a little bit of time to bed in and it's probably going to be a little while before yeah. we see the best Leicester. But yeah, I'm very reluctant to get the fraudometer, not... fraudometer out this season. I bro. was about to say the <laughs> fraudometer needs to come out. <laughs> but Brendan, you might leave me with no choice if you're not careful. So <laughs> sort it out, mate. <laughs> uh, Aston Villa enjoyed a very good result and performance when they beat Everton 3-0 at Villa Park on Saturday evening. Uh, Leon Bailey came on as a sub in this game. He scored a thunderous goal with his left foot. Um, is he a player we should be really excited to have in the Premier League, do you think, Phil?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you want these guys in, in the league. Um, obviously, hopefully not playing well against your team, but <laughs> you know, these are the guys that kind of can create something from nothing and will score an incredible goal, go on a, you know, run where they beat four or five players. And I think Villa did a kind of an excellent job to bring him in and it was very under the radar. I mean, I know they sold Grealish for a lot of money, but, um, there were a few links here and there. And then all of a sudden it was like, we've agreed a fee with Bayer Leverkusen. Mm. I was like, wow, you know, good, good for them. So, um, you know, Leon Bailey is, uh, you know, a really explosive, talented player. And I think sometimes they're quite difficult to fit in, uh, in in the Premier League because, you know, they might not always be so diligent in their defensive work, but um, in terms of making an impact in the final third, I think they've got one of the best players in the league for that. And you saw in his, 21 minute cameo, you know, he scored, he assisted and he, and, and that was it. Off we go. Nice yep. uh, standing ovation from the crowd and. And hopefully they've, they've got a new hero at Villa Park. So yeah, really looking forward to, to seeing what they can do with him.
0: Yeah. I mean, Wendy has not done much for Villa so far, has he? But I'm looking forward to seeing him when, once he starts, uh, once he, once he beds in a little bit more, because I think they've got the makings of a really good side there. Uh, Matty Cash as well. He's called the opening, uh, the goal to open the scoring. There's been some talk before the game that he could be called, called up by the Polish national team. Uh, are you a fan of his, Matt? Uh, yeah. I actually think he's a really, really good player. Maybe someone, um,
1: he doesn't necessarily grab headlines, let's say, but but another success story from the football league, yeah. uh, which I always really enjoy. And uh, I actually didn't realise until this talk at the weekend that he was that he was eligible for Poland. No, I mean, mm. looking at uh, looking at the right back situation in England, where there's about seven <laughs> um, of all of whom are very very good, might make a bit of sense to go and play for Poland. Sure, I mean, look, he's only was he 24. Um. Could certainly get more than a handful of games um at international level with Poland. So yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, I just think that yeah, look, he's taking on the likes of Trent, Reese James and whoever else is not gonna be easy, um, for England.
0: Yeah, I think his hairstyle would fit in well into the Polish national team as well, actually. <laughs> Thank you slicked yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> uh, Everton made a good start to the season they lost this game of course they were without Pickford, for and Coleman uh, Begovic, Rondon and Iwobi came into the team they also still without Calvert-Lewin so that's four of the best players missing do you think we, we read much into this result and performance with that said Phil? I mean it wasn't good mm-hmm. um, but yeah what you mentioned I mean any team would
2: struggle with four of their kind of key players missing so maybe they can they can just write this one off as a bad day at the office but I think you know, especially the the Richarlison injury just really blunted any kind of attacking impetus they had and, and Villa kind of kicked into life in that second half and, and put them to the sword. So I, I really don't know what to make of Everton. I watched them and I don't really think they're amazing, but they kind of have moments where they do look good. So I guess they're kind of learning how, to, how they're, you know, doing things under Rafa Benitez and you know Hammers Rodriguez is obviously jump ship he's off to Qatar I think there were some reports going around yeah. this morning that he's, he's... so that's you know, a shame isn't it his I think. team yeah it is a shame but I think he's his head's gone from yeah. professional football I think he's happier on Twitch than he is at, <laughs> uh, at Goodison Park so you know it's a shame but you know thanks for the couple of goals last year and they can wish him well and I think Benitez has his team now so in a few weeks I think we'll see the real Everton hopefully when they, they have players back and, and fit and firing.
0: Yeah, I don't think Everton fans ever saw hammers in the f- in the flesh, did they? I think yeah. every time they played... It's uh, true, yeah, it's uh, true. Every time they played was behind closed doors, which... Uh... Oh, well, good luck to him in Qatar, I guess. Uh, the battle of the newly promoted clubs finished Norwich one Watford 3 at Carrow Road on Saturday. That's five defeats in a row for Norwich, and Daniel Farker becomes the first manager to lose 15 consecutive top-flight matches. Does there come a point, Matt, where the club has to decide that maybe Farker isn't the man to take them forward, and, and how far away from that point do you think we are now?
1: I feel like I always rip into Norwich every time I'm on the <laughs> podcast. And I do, because they just... They're a mirror image of themselves on the bench and on the pitch. All of their players are not good enough for the Premier League. They go down, but they're too good for the Championship, and they come up again. And Farker's the exact same. He's not a Premier League manager, and they go down, but then he's actually quite good in the Championship, so they come back up again. I don't know quite what they're aiming for. Um, one of these times, one of these yo-yo times, they'll they'll manage to stay up for one season, potentially. But they just don't seem they're forever stuck in thinking, you know what? He's good enough to get us out of the championship. And then when they come up, they think, ah, yeah, a shot at the big time. We can't just sort of sack him a few games (laughs) in. And then by the time it comes to sacking him, they're already relegated and they go, well, he's good enough to get us back up again. So we'll stick with him. And the cycle continues. I just don't, I don't know who they're going to bring in, you know, to, to kind of replace him. I just don't, I think they're stuck in a very, very odd cycle. Um, and I can't see him suddenly guiding them you know into mid-table and beyond sorry Norwich fans yeah
0: They'll, they'll sack him and hire Sam Allardyce at some point don't worry they'll be fine yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah he's been having a bit of a dispute with the fans via the medium of a press conference hasn't he Farker about team selection and stuff like that it feels like there mm. might be patience might be wearing a little bit thin there um, it's so weird because everybody looked at the way they played in the championship last season were like they're definitely going to be better this season definitely in you know five defeats nope. in a row it's not looking great uh, both sides had 12 shots in this game um, Timo Puki Puk- did score for Norwich but Phil do you think him and Josh Sargent are capable of getting the goal required to keep them in the league?
2: No, unfortunately not. I mean, it's what Matt said, isn't it? Their players are kind of too good for the championship and not good enough for the Premier League. And that's a very difficult um, bridge to gap, Mm. you know, Um, because I'm sure they've collected a fair bit of of cash during their up and down seasons. But how do you really convince players to join Norwich? You know, that's the, the the big issue. And I think... I do have sympathy because they've tried to be clever with recruitment. Um, they've tried to look into Greece, into Belgium, into the lower leagues of mm. Germany to try and find a gem from somewhere like they did with Emi Buendia, um, you know, who came from Hetafe for about 2 million quid, I think. Yeah. So, um, But it's just such a difficult position to be in because, you know, as soon as anyone gets good, they leave. <laughs> um, and then And then they're stuck with the players who aren't quite good enough. So you know it's a difficult one i don't see them scoring a lot of goals i don't see them staying up um and i think maybe at the end of the season it might just be time to say thank you very much to daniel Farker. but you know we've you've kind of taken us as far as we can go and even if it might end end up being worse off it's probably time to
0: to start a new challenge yeah, that Sergeant one was a little bit strange for me because I thought he, he didn't even look good enough for the Bundesliga when I saw him last, mm-hmm. last season. No. So i i have struggled to see what he's, what he's really going to add to the Premier League. Uh, Ismaila Sar scored twice for Watford in this game. He's a very good player, Matt, but do you think he's good enough to be the, the difference between survival and relegation for Watford this season?
1: Uh. I think he is not alone. I'm not sure he's quite at that level yet to be dragging a team out of a relegation battle. But I, what I really do like is that he was linked with a few clubs when they got relegated, um, in the summer of 2020 and he stayed and he had a full season's worth of football under his belt in the championship. And now seems to be a much better player for it. Much like Grealish did when they went down Aston Villa, whenever it was sort of seven years ago, um, stuck with him and come back a much better player rather than if he got the move and then sat on someone's bench you know, yeah. for another season. So I think he personally is better off for it. A very good player. Um, Watford have made some half-decent signings. Again, they sort of tip into the Norwich category for me of having players who aren't quite good enough. Yeah. He'll definitely be a difference maker, but I'm not sure he can do it all by himself. Um, in the last few times that Watford have got promoted, I think this is their best. Best team, mm. their best chance of staying up and not going straight back down. I think.
0: Yeah, and if they do go down, I don't. I suspect Star won't be sticking around again. From yeah, the no, not a second of the championship, time. Really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other game on Saturday finished Wolves nil Brentford two. Uh, Brentford, the unbeaten away from home so far this season. How impressed have you been with their start, Phil? And how good does Ivan Tony look at this level?
2: They're a good team. Um, they're a really good team. I think they're very. Surprisingly solid, actually. I didn't mm. think they would be so good defensively. Um, and yeah, when you've got quality up front like like Ivan Tony, I think you've always got a chance. You know, he's not the biggest striker, but he just he's so strong and he and he puts himself around about. Um, you know, he's very secure in the jewels, and I think being able to step up physically into the Premier League has helped them massively. Um, not only you know physically as i mentioned but technically his relationship with brian and burmo looks very promising um and yeah i think they can kind of look to him as their talisman and and sort of get enough guys around him to do just enough um but whether they'll stay up i don't know it's mm. still a long campaign maybe their legs will go maybe they'll get an injury who knows but I think under Thomas Frank, they've, they've got the, uh, a really good chance of staying up because he's, he's just a very good coach. It's quite simple, really. He's, yeah. um, you know, very astute. His in-game management is very good. Um, so, yeah, I I've, you know, I've enjoyed them. It's someone new, someone different in the yeah. league. Uh, and it's just sort of, Fun to watch them I guess so Indeed. yeah
0: I, I mean I'll, I'll be very surprised if Tony is there next year next yeah I yeah, saw so Thomas Frank compared the Tony and Buemo partnership to uh, York and Cole actually which isn't a bad shout uh, also seeing Tony compared to Drogba I mean the way he sort of drops deep and links play as well is really impressive he got a nice assist in this game uh, Wolves didn't manage a shot on target here Matt is it time to start worrying about the way they're performing under Bruno Large and uh, can you see him coming good with a bit more time or is he doomed to failure there? Oh, yeah. I just don't know how they change it. Mm.
1: That's really the problem. I see, unless he's got some sort of coaching magic that we're yet to see yet. Um, I really think they're very heavily reliant on Traore pulling something out the bag and Jimenez trying to find, you know, uh, his former self, obviously, before the head injury. I think it's going to be really, really difficult. And I think they look like still the bare bones of what Nuno, what Nuno Santos left. Mm. You know, they still look like they haven't sort of been revived as yet under a new manager with new ideas, new tactics, this, that, and the other. Um, but it's a shame because they've got some really good players. I think Podence is also another really good player um, as as well as Traoré in the, in the attacker department. <sighs> I don't know. I just think where others like Aston Villa, for example, who I think came up at the same time as Wolves, where others have taken the next step, next step forwards. I think Wolves are really sort of taking steps back, um, and you've got a question if some of the players want to hang around for it because there's certainly got some players that aren't, you know, are far too good for the championship mm. if if it goes that badly. Um, yeah, I'd start to worry. Maybe, maybe within the next month or so, see how we're picking picking up around the nine ten game mark. Yeah. Um, But I just can't see where it's going to change. You know what I mean? They're not sort of waiting for a big player, or they're not. And they're just. Randomly change tactic and everything works. I don't know where that change is going to come from. Yeah,
0: well, I feel like with Nuno took them as far as he could with that squad. They've got a good squad, as you say. They needed a, an exceptional manager to take over mm. really and take them to that next level. I wasn't, you know, when when they hired Large, I wasn't convinced that he was that guy, and I'm certainly not convinced now. Maybe even someone like Mourinho, you know, someone with a bit of bit of X factor might have like mm. dragged them up a level. But yeah, I don't, is that how you pronounce his name, Large? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I always
1: preferred Lager. I thought that sounded. <laughs> <laughs> Bruno Lager sounds Bruno like Lager. the kind of
0: guy that British football fans can get behind yeah it sounds like he's from Essex or something yeah. <laughs> um, the weekend kicked off on Friday night with a 1-1 draw between Newcastle and Leeds at St James's Park there's been a lot of talk about Steve Bruce's position recently and we, we've said on here before that Newcastle, Newcastle are unlikely to move forward unless they sack him does, does there come a point Phil where perhaps Bruce should swallow his pride and step down for the good, good of the club or is he entitled to stay in the job until he's told otherwise
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, has any manager really walked? (laughs) Um, I mean, I can't think of any big examples. Um, I know Jurgen Klopp said he walked, but Dortmund were in dire straits when he left. And Arsene Wenger said he walked as well, but we were shocking before he left as well. So maybe they were pushed. Um, I think Ashley, Mike Ashley just needs to... There's too much mixed messaging um, one minute he's backing Bruce and the next there's talk of Bruce being under pressure and And, and how can you expect to to go anywhere with that kind of uh, uncertainty from the top and it obviously filters down um, I, I mean he's this club just seemed to be in a perpetual state of sadness and I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know quite sad for that myself because this is a really historic club in England and in English football and I just don't see how things are going to change for them. Uh, yeah. They need to get really lucky with a signing or a managerial appointment. And I, I can't believe Ashley still hasn't sold the club yet. Genuinely. Everyone hates him. <laughs> yeah. And he's still there just digging his heels in. I know he maybe wanted to sell to the Saudis, but then it didn't go through. But
0: only and- the Saudis, isn't it? He seems like he doesn't want to sell to anyone yeah. else. And he's very specific just- about the value of the club yeah. that he wants to get. And Yeah just bizarre
2: Um, sure for me I don't know why you wouldn't want to get rid just Mm. cut your losses and go exactly Um, but yeah I think Bruce will be sacked eventually but it's like who do they bring in you know I don't know
0: uh, what they do in the next step yeah, they, they remind me of City around the sort of Stuart Pearce era, but you know, for them it's gone on much longer than that, and it seems like it's never going to end. Um, I mean, Bruce spoke before the game as well about his brief, essentially at Newcastle, is to keep them in the league, keep the club ticking along with the words that I believe he used. Uh, when you put it like that, Matt, I suppose he's been successful, hasn't he?
1: I mean, technically, yeah. I, I think... <laughs> There's, there's too many clubs in the Premier League that just finishing 17th and above is acceptable. Mm. And at what point do you think, right, we've been here a few seasons, we've got a bit of money from the Premier League. Let's sign some big players, a big manager and try and kick on. And just, uh, I don't know, that just sort of sums up Newcastle. And yeah, like Phil said, it's so sad for them because mm. the, the, the fans definitely deserve better.
0: Definitely, yeah. Yeah, uh, Leeds are still waiting for their first win of the season. This is, in fact, the first time they've gone five league games without a win under Marcelo Bielsa. Seven of the players named on the bench for this game have never started a Premier League game. Do you think their, their poor start to the season is all to do with injuries, Matt? Or are, are we looking at an uh, incurable case of second season syndrome here?
1: Potentially. I, I always just thought our uh, second season syndrome, it is what it is. But when you start to look at it, it makes no sense. Mm. I don't understand how how the similar players can really sort of just not work anymore. I mean, I, I don't want to draw comparisons just yet because obviously it ended horrifically for Sheffield United, but that was one of the worst cases of second season syndrome I've ever seen. Yeah. And we blamed it on injuries for the majority of the season they had, especially in defense. And you'd like to think that Leeds are a bit better than that, um, but they really need to get it together. I think in attack, I absolutely adore watching Rafinha. I think he's brilliant. I think he's such a good player. Um, and they've got some really good guys going forward. I just question whether or not they're good enough at the back. I know that ente just for some reason can't stay fit um, at centre-back. Whether Ailing and Cooper and the others are quite good enough. Um, I just think maybe they could have done with one more defender just to maybe make them a little bit more short at the back. I still think they've got more than enough to stay up. But yeah, you're right, it is a bit worrying, especially when you say that's the first time they've gone five games without a win. I I didn't actually know that. That's pretty they've got damn, a bit of, a bit of an me.
0: injury crisis in defence as well at the moment I think Ayling got yeah. injured in this game so they're, they're kind of down to the bare bones there yeah maybe maybe exactly. maybe in, in that area might have helped them this summer uh, finally we come to the Etihad where Manchester City were held to a 0-0 draw by Southampton last on the podcast last on Match of the Day how undignified that is eh? uh, <laughs> Pep Guardiola kind of pre pre-empted this result I guess when he said uh, after the, the, the game against Leipzig in midweek that City would be tired and he wanted the fans to be there it was going to be a tough game um, in the end they didn't manage a shot on target until the 90th minute uh, Phil, do you think it's acceptable for a team of, with City's depth to be tired this earlier in the season? And, and did this game really highlight the, the need for a, a striker over the summer?
2: I was quite confused by that, actually. I mean, you know, City have been a Champions League club for a long time now. They know the drill. Mm. They've worn the T-shirt. They've travelled in midweek and, and had to win games before uh, on Saturday or Sunday or, when you know. I just, I'm... I we saw last season that if you can spread the goals around it can work. Um but I just look at all the top teams who are challenging for the title and I see okay um Man United have you know Ronaldo, Chelsea have Lukaku, Liverpool have Salah and and Mane. You know, And they they kind of have at least one or two guys that you can bank on to score every week or every other week. And I just don't see that regularly enough from City. I mean, the top scorer was Gundogan last year, right? Yeah, with 12 Um,
0: goals, I think it was, yeah.
2: Yeah, and even though that's an incredible return for a midfielder, I think any title-challenging team will need... I mean, obviously last year uh, was a bit of an anomaly in that sense, but I just think any team that needs to to be up there at the end of the season will need someone who can score 20 goals um and i'm a big fan of jesus but he's not really a striker i'm a big fan of ferran torres but is he ready to take on that role yet so they're kind of in the middle and i think it was a big a big mistake not having enough money for a striker or not pursuing a striker i mean i know there was that the reports with kane um but was there nobody else? I, know, um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they they could have scouted somebody else for half the price and got <laughs> a decent striker in. So I don't know. I think that will be ev- eventually what comes back to bite them. Um, yeah and yeah I just, I'm just i keeping an eye on things potentially unravelling with, with Guardiola <laughs> a bit at the moment because I don't know he's saying some things that I'm not convinced I'm yeah. not. I think he's Where's you know, it coming a bit from? grumpy yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, he's a bit grumpy yeah before this game I was, I was feeling pretty confident about City actually I thought they were playing well the, the strikerless formation was looking pretty good they were looking dangerous and Southampton played really well in this game we should say that as well but you know they were they were very predictable going forward City like Grealish didn't have his best game he was trying to check back in onto his right foot all the time and it, it was it was just a bit too easy to read and my my sort of hunch about City now is that they're going to probably be as good as they were last season when they won the league with 86 points, if not a little bit better. They might even get more than 86 points, but I don't think it's going to be enough this year. I think you're going to need about 95 to win the league this season, the way things are going, and I, and I don't see City uh, getting there. I think they might just fall short, but never mind. We've got the Carabao Cup coming our way this week, so that's that's the one we uh, we, we want to win. That's our our main target every season, and anything else is a bonus, really. <laughs> uh, Matt, what did you make of the decision in this game to overturn the penalty awarded to Southampton for Kyle Walker's foul on Adam Armstrong?
1: I mean, so he said that Armstrong initiated the contact. Mm. Um, God, it's a tough one. <laughs> that is, you'd be fuming. I think the story, the the scenario behind it, is what makes it even more kind of shocking. If you're just overturning a foul, you know, um, when when a game's already won or this that and the other, it might be a bit different. But you know, there's a red card involved as well. Yeah. You're not just overturning a penalty. There's a red card for the away team, in Manchester City. I think it's a very, very big decision. And yes, you could say that oh, technically initiated contact. I've had a look at my fancy screen on the side of the pitch. I imagine that nobody in Southampton is at all delighted with them. Was it John Moss? Yeah. Um Yeah. John I, Mess, I as one of my be, friends calls him. John, <laughs> John <laughs> Mess, even. Um, <laughs> How inventive. Uh, I, you'd be absolutely furious if that was against your team because so many of these you see given and they sort of go, I've given it now, there yeah. is a bit of contact. So I can sort of attach that to you know whatever rule is in the rule book. Um, he's made a very brave decision. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> Personally, I thought I'd he was have... going down already. I thought, I thought it was another yeah, one of those and I thought... That's the thing. I thought it was brave of him to overturn it. A little bit surprising, actually, because I thought he would he would stick to his guns on that one. I thought yeah, it was a good exactly. decision. But as a City fan, I would say that, wouldn't I, I guess, really. So. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> the
1: thing. Yeah, I think every
0: team... As with
1: most decisions you're raging if that's not given and you're happy if you're, if you're a City fan yeah
0: Ralph Harsen hoot- waistcoat in this game had me expecting the camera to pants to touch shine. be there smoking a cigar drinking a, a glass of champagne <laughs> his team defended really well here they looked dangerous going forward at times too perhaps a little bit unlucky not to win uh, but that's now four draws in five games this season do you think it's been a satisfactory start to the season for Southampton Phil? I think it's
2: been all right. Yeah. I don't think it's been anything incredible, but that, that was a very good result for them at the weekend. And I think they've got the makings of something good here. I mean, I've personally got a lot of time for Hasenhuttle as a coach. Um, I think he's very decent. I think he did an excellent job in, in the Bundesliga. I think he's had some ups and downs at Salampton, but I think they've got the makings of a good squad. Um, Liv Ramento from Chelsea looks an inspired uh, yeah. signing um, I think Adam Armstrong will prove to to be effective in the Premier League and score some goals. I think Jan Bednarek has has improved significantly, um, so I think they've got some decent players. You know, I don't see them uh, challenging the, the top six or you know the Conference League positions, but I think they they can definitely do better than they did last year. Um, and you know, I would have bet against them doing it. I think they'll they'll be a team that wins. Uh, well one week has a bad week the next so they're very kind of up and down but I think on the whole um, it's been a decent start yeah just
0: no 9-0 defeats this season and they can look at that as a positive yes, I guess, ideal yeah. <laughs> well that will do us for this yeah. week I've been Dan Burke thank you to Phil Costa and Matt Froelich for joining me we'll be back next Tuesday to discuss uh, Chelsea versus City Arsenal versus Tottenham and all the big talking points from the Premier League weekend so we'll hopefully catch you then